0: Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Well, good morning. Please make it a point to continue these conversations afterward. They are really, really important, that fellowship of the body is, is uh, super, super important. It's why we get together. And uh, not only that, but uh, today, just think of it. You have something to speak with your grandkids about someday, right, that you not only went through a time change, because time changes may be a thing of the past, right, uh, but you made it through the flood of 23 just <laughs> to be here. Uh, it's really good that all of you are here. It's been a, it's been a winter, right? It, Hasn't just hasn't stopped. Uh, still not over. Uh, my name's Don. I was one of the pastors here for about twenty years, and I retired just about a year ago. So I'm uh, really looking forward to this opportunity and yeah i i heard a rumor that it was john robertson's birthday so please make sure to embarrass him uh yeah he's he's part of the security team that keeps us safe so a little embarrassment never hurts um i was sorry to miss the beginning of this series last week i caught it i caught roger's message online but i was in um, in Oregon, a, a good friend of ours from the time that we lived there, he, he passed away and the family asked me to do his, uh, his funeral service. And so it was just a really special time to get together with his kids. We, we've known them for almost 50 years. And uh, his name was Pete. And as we talked with his kids and just saw the impact of his life, it was so obvious that um, Pete fulfilled God's purpose for his life. Now, he was a humble man and a hard worker. He was not a flashy guy. He would not attract attention in a a group of people. He started out life as a dairy farmer and uh, decided really quickly that was not the route he wanted to continue. Uh, And uh, I could tell stories, but uh, he worked a number of jobs, ended up as a school custodian. Again, not real flashy, but he lived to serve other people. And as I, you know, just saw the impact of his life, I thought, wow, I want to have an impact like that. And we all do. We all want to be, I think, people of integrity. That means the outside matches the inside and the inside matches who Jesus has made us. We want that. We want to be people where our lives make a difference where God really uses us. And that's what this, this series is all about. That in order for us to be people of integrity, in order to be people where our lives really make a difference, God needs to grow us and stretch us. It isn't like we believe in Jesus and we're done. God keeps, that's just the beginning. He keeps growing us and stretching us. I'm discovering that, you know? My gosh, I'm, I'm still growing and being stretched in retirement, maybe even more so than ever. Uh, maybe Michelle a little more, but uh, yeah. Um, that's another story. Uh, anyway, we, um, one way God grows us and stretches us is to have us Grow his heart, his love for people that we might not ordinarily want to be around. That's what happened to Jonah, right? And we'll see that this week with, um, with Daniel and his three friends. And next week with Daniel, and, uh, we'll be looking at Daniel 3 this week, Daniel 6 next. And really, this takes in the gamut of ages. Uh, this week, we look at Daniel and his friends, and their teens and 20s, when God really uses them to have an impact. Next week, Daniel is a man in his 80s. And so... We're in that spectrum. God wants to use us. And he wants us to to reach out with his love toward people. And and that often will go against our inclinations, against our fleshly impulses. And that is hard to do without the Holy Spirit's help. And um, so let's prepare to be inspired by these examples. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your ongoing work in our lives. And I just pray that we, um, we would recognize you when you're at work, that we wouldn't fight you. Uh, thank you uh, as we're going to um, celebrate communion today for your death, your burial, and your resurrection to give us a new life where we can live free from those things that have held us in chains in the past. So Lord, uh, use these examples in our life in powerful ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Daniel, um, you'll see in your handout, there's a, a timeline for, for Daniel and that will help you for this week and next. Um, these things happened centuries ago, but they apply to our lives today. Daniel was born in about 620 BC, and he must have been in a family with some, uh, of some importance, some connections based on what happened to him. Now, when he was a teenager, there was a, um, an event that he may not have even noticed, but it sure impacted his life. Uh, before too long, there was a big battle in uh, t- today. It would be in southern Turkey, near the border of northern Syria. Uh, in fact, right around where those earthquakes are, in a town called Carchemish, and that was where the Assyrian Empire and their allies, Egypt, they were defeated by Babylon, and that that indicated a paradigm shift. Assyria was gone as a world power, and Egypt was in decline, and now Babylon was in the rise. And Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the armies of Babylon, he didn't waste any time flexing his muscle. In fact, that very year, he showed up and surrounded Jerusalem. It was the first of three times that he would do that. And this time, he took uh, King Jehoiakim captive, and he also kind of skimmed off the best in brightest from, um, from Jerusalem and took them back with him to Babylon. And Daniel was one of that group. Now, this was actually kind of a left-handed reward. Sorry if you're left-handed. Uh, the, the, it was... Daniel and his friends were recruited because they were such great candidates. This is the way it's put in Daniel 1. They were young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. In other words, they're good-looking, smart, and healthy teenagers. And they went right to work at this university. And They studied things like uh, agriculture, architecture, astronomy, law, math, and three languages. So if you're in high school and complaining about one, uh, they were taking three. Sumerian, Akkadian, and Aramaic. And this was all so that they might enter government service. So that they might help integrate the Jewish people into Babylonian society. Now, clearly this beat being enslaved but not by much because they were in this university far from home. They, they, they were taken hundreds of miles away from home and against their will. And how many of us have found ourselves in situations that we really did not want to be in? You kind of go, I didn't sign up for this, but here you are, right? Uh, maybe situations out of your control. Situations brought about due to illness or death or some uh, family turmoil like uh, divorce or some, some employment turmoil like an involuntary transfer or, or even loss of a job. But it's interesting that we don't hear anything about how these four young men felt about being where they are. They obviously didn't like it. That goes without saying, but it's clear that they learned early on to trust God in the midst of their new, unfamiliar, and probably unwelcome surroundings. Not only that, but they experienced spiritual opposition from the outset. For one thing, their names were changed from names that glorified God to now uh, names that glorified Babylonian gods. And that they are listed in your handout. And that opera- the opposition wasn't done there. It persisted even down to the details of their lives. And isn't that where spiritual conflict occurs for each of us? Is in the details of our lives? Even down to their diet. Um, They were to eat the king's food. Now, the king's food on the menu included things like pork and horse meat and wine uh, previously offered to these false Babylonian gods. Now, Daniel determined as as a Jew under Mosaic law, he determined not to eat that stuff. But he also um, recognized that God was the greatest authority and he was under a, under a new governmental authority. And so he asked permission, confident that God would work through this authority. And God did, uh, he didn't protest in, you know, snarl and snap and he asked permission And he prayed and God answered his prayer and he was able to, uh, you know, through a creative test, which he passed, he was able to eat a diet of vegetables. And so he and his friends learned early on that despite this harsh spiritual environment in which they lived, they could trust God and he'd provide a way for them. And so we shouldn't just fret and, oh my gosh, look at the world that we live in. It's spiritually harsh. Okay, we can trust God in the middle of it, and he will provide a way. And as we trust God, and as we operate in his strength, he accomplishes through us things that we could never do otherwise. That's what walking with Jesus is all about. Uh, in chapter one, verse 20, this is, this is the fruit of, of uh, their lives in every matter of wisdom. These are teenagers, okay? In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them 10 times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. They saw Jesus in their lives. And we want people to see Jesus in hours. Not only that, but they got a promotion, a real fast promotion, because of that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and all these, all these practitioners of dark arts that were uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's counselors, uh, these wizards and mediums and and uh, spiritists, they couldn't, they couldn't do a thing. But God revealed to Daniel. The, this dream. And so he promoted not only Daniel, Daniel was second only to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he worked in kind of their equivalent of the White House. Um, and the, the, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, worked to kind of manage the province of Babylon. And now the stage is set for the conflict that we see in Daniel 3 look at verses one through seven to begin. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 feet high and nine feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces. Now that's all the government bureaucrats in descending order of importance, right? And they were to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So all these guys uh, showed up for the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the statue. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, boy, there's brass, woodwinds, and uh, strings there. That was quite uh, quite an orchestra. You are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, all those instruments, people of every nation and language fell down and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, these events likely took place about 10 years after their captivity because there was a... a A little uprising against Nebuchadnezzar, and so it's thought that this statue was a loyalty test that he had set up to kind of find out who the the rebels were. So uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in their mid-20s at this point. And... um, The statue, nobody really knows who it was. It could have been Nebuchadnezzar. He was full of himself enough to make it of him. It could have been Marduk, their main god in their pantheon. But at any rate, uh, he built this statue. And Daniel, again, he was back back in the White House, right? And uh, instantly, here is this spiritual challenge. Fall down and worship this thing. Or you're going to be thrown in this furnace of blazing fire. Now, there was a furnace nearby, and uh, these furnaces were built. They kind of looked like a beehive. There was an opening at the top to throw in the ore and the fuel, and then an opening at the bottom or on the side to withdraw the the ore or the, the metal that has been melted down. And this conflict that these three young men faced is not unlike conflicts that we face as well. as it, it happens over and over again. Here's a conflict between good and evil, and it goes all the way back to that conflict between that fallen angel who thought that he should be God rather than God himself, and that conflict between Satan Satan. Even to this day, he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. His purpose is to destroy us. God's purpose through trials like this is to grow us. So same instance, same conflict, two different purposes. Destroy or grow depends upon our response to it. And in verse seven, the the verb tense, it says, boy, as soon as those instruments started playing everybody hit the deck except those three except those three Now, let's see what happens next in verses 8 through 12. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all those instruments uh, should fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Now, these Chaldeans are all those, uh, you know, practitioners of those dark arts, all those sorcerers and spiritists and all the guys who were jealous of these three, for their quick appointment. And they also, they hated, they hated the Jews because they hated God. It's this, it's that spiritual conflict, right? They had aligned themselves with the forces of darkness. And so here they, they hated the Jews because they hated the God of the Jews. And Their accusations are malicious. The the Aramaic word here uh, means their motive is just like an animal that tears apart the carcass of its prey. They were that. They wanted to see these men torn to pieces. But that isn't what their words sounded like. Their motive was vicious. Their words were smooth. Oh, these men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Now, they know Nebuchadnezzar. They know where his buttons are, and they know how to push him. And they just waited for his temper to erupt and for these guys to be thrown in and in this uh, furnace and to be destroyed. That was their motive. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had lots of opportunities to say, well, you know, we, we have our convictions, but we'll hold them privately. We're not going to tell anybody about them. Uh, but they were men of integrity. Their outside matched their inside, and their inside matched God's word. And so they They knew that they, they knew God and they knew that they could trust him no matter what. That's going to be really important here in just a minute. Let's look at verses 13 through 18. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true That you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of all those instruments, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up one of the most amazing passages in all of scripture. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is furious, but he, to his credit, he he knew how jealous all his advisors were so he he decided to hear from the horse's mouth and he confronts these three he says is it true he liked these guys before this but he's full of himself and uh, he made the rule and that's the way it was going to be and he was kind of like a real stern father at first you know he said do what i said or not now their integrity is is <laughs> challenging a whole new level. It's one thing to stand up while everyone's lying down. It's a whole other thing to confront the most powerful man in the world, especially when he's furious at you. And he makes the spiritual test crystal clear. Bow down and worship this statue or you're going to burn up. And he, he tops it off by poking them in, in their spiritual eye. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Whoa! He is putting himself above God. And uh, he's also giving the three young men one last chance to escape certain death by compromise. All you got to do is compromise. Go along with me and, and everything will be all right. And uh, then they respond in just an amazing, amazing way. I'm sure that these three friends had, had many what-if conversations uh, along with Daniel. And they knew what each other felt and believed, and so they responded as one. And in verse 16, they said, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. That, that means we're not going to change our answer. We're not gonna be intimidated or cowed by uh, fear of you. And then in verse 17, they said, if the God we serve exists, they, they take uh, Nebuchadnezzar's point of view for just a moment. If God exists, he's able to rescue us from the furnace and your power. In other words, our God is greater than you. But that was a pretty confrontive statement, but they did it in a a polite way, in a respectful way. Again, they're not responding in kind. They're not getting angry and, you know, instead they stated the truth, but with a very respectful way. And then in verse 18, one of the most amazing statements in the whole Bible. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. I think this is probably the biggest part of their legacy, not just their miraculous deliverance, but their faith in God, regardless of the outcome, even if you don't. And we be, you know, it's interesting. I think we face similar situations all the time. Are we going to trust God or not? Are we going to trust God or are we going to try and make a deal with him? God, I'll trust you as long as you do this, this, and this. If not, forget it. Forget trusting in you. I've known people who've basically said that. There are some Christian teachers today who mislead others by saying, all we've got to do is pray hard enough and declare what we want and we're going to get it. I don't hear that from these three young men. They make no demands of God. They say, even if things don't work out the way we want, we will still trust you. And we our outside behavior matches the inside, and the inside matches who Jesus made us when we trust God completely, regardless of the outcome. And that is hard. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. Even if I don't get better, even if I lose my job, even if my friends turn away from me, even if my family misunderstands me, I will still trust you. And many times there's consequences for doing that, and there were for these, these three young men. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Now, <laughs> he went, Nebuchadnezzar went from being, you know, stern parent to just stark raving mad. And uh, he, he's furious at being challenged. And and truly, there can't be two opposing truths that are true, right? Either he is the ultimate authority or God is. And again, we don't have to be obnoxious or rude uh, when we are... Um, Stating our faith to others when we're sharing our faith to others, we don't have to be, you know, us versus them. That's kind of the the tone of our times, isn't it? Let's make factions. Let's and that kind of feels appeals to the flesh too, doesn't it? Right? Uh, It's us versus them, and us are right and they're wrong, and uh, we'll get in your face. You don't see that here at all. On the other hand, you can't expect a warm welcome if you are challenging the the very foundation of someone's life. But you do it, you express kindness and love to them as we speak and live out the truth. And that is something that can only be done in the Holy Spirit's strength. Otherwise, it ends up weird. It ends up looking just like the world, right? Ends up looking like politics. That's not the Holy Spirit's work. And boy, everyone was just hopping. Uh, it, it, Nebuchadnezzar is commanding and they're, they don't want to be on his wrong side and he's furious. And, and the expression, heat the, the, the furnace seven times means get it as hot as you possibly can. And then his, his elite Uh, soldiers grab these guys tie them up bring them up to the top of the the furnace and since heat rises when they open it up the the blast from the furnace kills these men as they let Shadrach Meshach and Abednego fall into the furnace and the deed's done and Nebuchadnezzar is thinking who's the god that can rescue you from my power Well, he's about to find out. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Well, yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace a blazing fire and called, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, king's advisors gathered around, and you could just imagine all the people that had dropped down and, and worshipped this silly statue, they swarmed around these three men this is what they saw. They saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected and there was no smell of fire on them. Wow. And um, the Greek translation of the Old Testament said that Nebuchadnezzar heard singing coming from the furnace. Uh, at any rate, he looked in there and, and he asked a pretty dumb question. You know, didn't we throw three men in? Well, duh. You know, your, your uh, elite corps is dead at the top of the furnace and the three men are gone. But he, he, he tells some of his other men, come here and look at what I am seeing. Uh, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a sun." of the gods. Jesus Christ always is. And Jesus before he was incarnate as a man made many appearances throughout the Old Testament. This is one of them. Jesus was with these three men in their fiery trial. And he's with us when we face our fiery trial too, whether things work out the way we want them to or not. And for some people, we, we all know people that have been through a fiery trial and things worked out. And praise God for that. Um, I think of one, um, one brother in Christ that I know who Survived World War II in Nazi-occupied Holland, and as a as a boy, he was constantly being hidden because as uh, the Nazis became more desperate, they would just grab anybody and conscript them into their army. Now the family hid many people, and at this point, uh, uh, they were hiding a medical student, and boy, he was a hot property, uh, and so they were subject to kind of search without notice and one day that's exactly what happened and so uh, they ran they had a special hiding place behind in a closet behind uh, their clothes and so they you know uh, this young man and the medical student ran up into the attic and there were three boards that covered the open and they got two of them in place and then the German soldier showed up in the closet and he should have he should have seen them But he he didn't. They miraculously survived. Um, 20 years ago, um, a pastor named Peter Chen, who had been a pastor in the People's Republic of China uh, for a total of 55 years. I think it was about 45 when he was here. He stood right here and he spoke through uh, his his niece, Sonia Carlson, and he told us what it was like to be a pastor in China, especially during the Cultural Revolution under Mao Zedong. And God's work prospered despite everything that he had experienced. He, he survived threats, um, beatings, starvation, 10 years of imprisonment, and God's work continued to thrive. We all know people where God brought them through. Jesus was with them through their trials. We know people who Jesus brought them through their trials but things did not work out the way they wanted them to. We've just seen Jesus walk with the Hardin family through Finley's brief life. And we think of the Nacarados and others who have experienced similar things and and if we talked we would find out other trials that people have been through and it didn't work out the way they wanted to, but they still trusted God and you are an example of faith to us all. Now, we would expect revival after seeing a miracle like this, kind of like what happened in Nineveh under Jonah. I mean, my goodness, they've never seen anything like this. But there's no indication that that happened because faith in God is necessary in order for there to be a change from the inside out. That's what it takes. We need to believe in Jesus Christ and then He changes us from the inside out. Think of even in Jesus' day, people demanded to see a miracle and then when they did, they still didn't believe. We have to trust in Jesus and then he changes our lives. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had to eat some tasty crow here. Uh, In verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. He does have a way of persuading, doesn't (laughs) he? Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, he couldn't deny God was more powerful than him. And and then he does this silly decree. And, And I'm sure that... Neither Daniel nor his friends wanted that. Because how many times does forced worship work? <laughs> Look through history and you'll see. <laughs> it just produces superficial allegiance, but no change of heart. God wants our heart. He wants us to believe in him. And this... Uh, this directive from uh, this ultimatum from Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to change anybody's heart. But for a dictator, that's probably as big of a compliment as he could possibly give. Now, this is the second time Nebuchadnezzar had seen God in power. The first was when Daniel interpreted the dream. And now this but it seems like he suffers from spiritual amnesia. He forgets quickly who he is and who God is and gets the two confused. And we don't want to do that. We want to know who God is and follow him without holding back. We want to be people of integrity where the outside matches the inside and the inside matches who Jesus has made us. We want our lives to make a difference. And in order to reach our potential, the potential for which God created us, we need to be willing to be stretched, to be stretched outside our comfort zone. And we've got to remember where these guys were when all this took place in a foreign country around people they'd rather not be around. It shouldn't be hard to think of groups of people that would make you uncomfortable Think about it. Maybe people of different age than you or uh, ethnic background or lifestyle or personality or the list of reasons that people divide and go their separate ways goes on and on and on and on. Think of one group that jumps to your mind. Ask God to stretch you. I need to ask God, stretch me. Stretch me. I'm, you know, because honestly, (laughs) we don't reach our full potential unless we're willing to be stretched, to follow God and trust him no matter what the outcome is. And he will always find a way. Remember, tests are meant either to destroy us or to grow us. Depending upon who you're looking at, God wants to grow us so that we become more and more like Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your unending love. And uh, thank you for this time to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, to remember the price of our redemption. Help us to be willing, to be willing to follow you, to be willing to be stretched so that we might reach the potential for which you created us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.